Hello, it's Andrew Harrison here. Welcome to one of our occasional Emergency Cast Special Editions. With his trademark deviousness, Rupert Murdoch announced his decision to step down from the chairmanships of both News Corp and Fox after we'd recorded today's edition of the main podcast. So we couldn't talk about one of the most seismic and long-awaited days in media. Murdoch's surprise move brings to an end, formally at least, a seven-decade reign over global media. The 92-year-old magnate's properties include, or have included, The Sun, The Times, Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, The Australian Daily Telegraph, Herald Sun and The Australian, and Sky TV, Sky News and the movie studio 21st Century. In a low blow to fans of Succession, Murdoch immediately named his son Lachlan as chairman of both remaining companies, but his departing message to staff struck a very ominous note. I will be watching our broadcast with a critical eye, reading our newspapers and websites and books with much interest, and reaching out to you with thoughts, ideas and advice, he wrote. When I visit your countries and companies, you can expect to see him in the office late on a Friday afternoon. So what will a post-Murdoch world look like and how post-Murdoch will it really be? I'm joined by somebody who knows Murdoch world very well. Political scientist Dan Casino, Professor of Government and Politics at Fairleigh Dickinson University in Madison, New Jersey, Executive Director of FDU Poll and author of Fox News and American Politics, How One Channel Shapes American Politics and Society. Hello, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure as always. So the first question that springs to mind, obviously, is why now? I mean, Murdoch used to tell his underlings that he'd only leave News Corporation in a pine box. So I think we are past a crisis point to some extent with Fox News. And I think Rupert Murdoch saw if you're going to ever hand things over, this is the time to do it. If we learn nothing else from succession, it's that if you wait until you actually die, things are going to get real messy. So it's good to <laughs> pass things over uh, when you're actually still around and still are able to exercise some control. And I think that letter he he sent the last part where he says, I am still going to be checking up on what's going on, is really important here, saying basically to smooth the transition to say, I'm still going to be watching it. We're still going to be making sure that you're doing the way I would run things, and I'm still going to be here as a backstop. Yeah, I, I hate to go succession so early, but hey, you did it first. That that quote about appearing the late Friday afternoons, it almost mirrors the scene where Logan appears in the newsroom at 8 a.m. and he's standing there shouting, I fucking love it, you're fucking pirates. And two episodes later, he's dead. Uh, it's, it's, it's Murdoch really giving up control. You know, we actually have seen him moving back on control quite a bit over the past couple of years. I mean, his son, Lachlan, has been in charge of Fox News in the US for some time now. And in the past couple of months, we've seen him able to assert more control. The big crisis we had in Fox News was that uh, the inmates were running the asylum. The uh, hosts that were in the primetime, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, figured they could do whatever the heck they wanted and were able to ignore Lachlan Murdoch. And just in the past couple months, he's been able to reseize control, firing Tucker Carlson, their top-rated host, and really, I think, reining in Sean Hannity quite a bit. So, you know, this raises a question about if, if, if Lachlan has been not quite the iron fist that Rupert has been in the past, what does, what does that bode for the future of the empire? Well, what we've seen is that in the past, Rupert Murdoch was able to really have tight messaging control. If you look at his newspapers, uh, yeah, newspapers and uh, media properties across the world, he was pushing one set of political values. And Fox News, especially in the US, where my specialty is, really was testing out messages in the morning. And then if the messages worked on their first morning show, Fox and Friends, it'd go in the afternoon. The ones that tested well there would go in the evening. And the ones that tested there would then be laundered over to the New York Daily News and over to the Wall Street Journal. And we'd see this moving throughout. So it's really this constrained ecosystem of talking points. And it was enormously effective. So 
we can think of this media empire as having this enormous reach. They've got a lot of power behind it. And in the past, that power was focused. We're pushing these talking points right now. So this was enormously effective. So think about the war on Christmas, right? Something that was made up on Fox News in 2005. And now is something that not only about 4% of Americans think is real, but we've seen, I've done interviews about the war on Christmas in Amsterdam. I've done interviews about this in Germany. People think this is a real thing, despite the fact it was made up. And when Fox News and the Rupert Empire was able to use that pinpoint focus, they were able to be enormously influential. Over the past couple of years, that's faded because it's been scattershot. And what Lachlan has been trying to do is reestablish the sort of messaging control. That's quite fascinating what you described there in that Fox has kind of established a, a sort of feedback loop, almost where the messages are dictating the presentation, the ones that test well. You know, the popular conception of Fox is that there's a kind of a, a room at the top where the messages that will be disseminated will are decided, where the angle is taken to serve the interests of far-right politics in, in, in the States. But what you're describing, really, is that ideas are kind of set wild. And in the true sense of memes, the strongest ones proliferate and end up spreading out wider into that ecosystem. Yeah, it's very Darwinian. I mean, it is competition. And if you watch, this is why people make fun of Fox and Friends so much, because they say wild stuff on that show. They're just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. But inevitably, some of it sticks. They've got a couple hours to just say whatever, and they get mocked a lot. But the stuff that works really, really works well. So the the decision for Murdoch to step back comes at the end of a very brutal couple of years, as, as you've said. Uh, Fox had to pay $787 million to settle the lawsuit over its claims that Dominion voting machines were used to steal the presidential election. Roughly two-thirds of the Fox Corporation's net annual income that that, that amounts to. How central was the, the Dominion catastrophe to what has happened to Fox? I mean, is, is, is the shaming of Fox and maybe the breakdown with that symbiotic relationship with Trump world kind of what has triggered this move? So I think that what happened with Dominion is that provided an excuse. So we did see over the past couple of years, the primetime hosts thought they were untouchable. Tucker Carlson's I'm the most popular host in America. I can say whatever the heck I want. And when management told him to tone it back, you're making us look like white nationalists. Uh, he said, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. I've got 2 million, 3 million viewers a night. I can do whatever I want. And what we saw is after that lawsuit, Fox higher-up said this was their excuse for Lachlan and his uh, – for the people who work for him to say, no, we need to crack down. We need to show that there really is control. We need to make sure these people aren't saying these things that are going to hurt the bottom line. They want to make the case to the board and to the rest of the company that letting these uh, hosts say whatever the heck they wanted – wasn't good. Well, maybe it was good TV, but it wasn't profitable anymore. And they need to have that sort of tighter control, which of course wound up meaning Lachlan had a lot more control over what the messaging was going to be and was able to take out these folks like Sean Hannity uh, and Tucker Carlson, who were really pushing the line and out of their control. Mm. So it, it was an excuse. It gave them an incentive and it gave them an excuse to do the things they wanted to do anyway. That reminds me actually of um, the, the closure of the news of the world after the phone hacking scandal here in the UK, uh, which was uh, so portrayed as an act of great contrition. And actually, those inside the world of, of of inside the media world knew full well that Murdoch had wanted to close the news of the world for years. He effectively wanted a seven day operation with the Sun, and lo and behold, the Sun on Sunday appears a few months later. Uh, you know, the, the turning a disadvantage into a business advantage seems to have been his hallmark. 
we call this in political science the garbage can theory. And the garbage can theory is pretty simple. It's that people go into a crisis with solutions already in mind. So when the crisis happens, all you do is you root into the garbage can and say, all right, what solution did people throw in this garbage can before? And we pull out the solution and we fit the solution to the crisis, whatever it is. So famous example is the invasion of Iraq. People wanted in the US wanted to invade Iraq since the mid-1990s. And so when 9-11 happens, they just root on the garbage can. Oh, Here's a solution, and we fit the solution back to the problem. So this is normal institutional decision-making, and Rupert Murdoch is very good at it. I never thought we'd get management lessons of Rupert Murdoch into this podcast, but hey, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Um, I'm sure, like uh, like us, you've been enjoying the extracts from Michael Wolff's upcoming third book on Murdoch. Uh, but today's nugget was that he claims that Murdoch thought the Dominion case was going to cost $50 million instead of two-thirds of the annual income of, of, of Fox. Do we know who carried the can for that particular accounting error? <laughs> I Look, this was certainly, we know from the disclosures we got, uh, this was seen as a major crisis. And it came at a crisis point for Fox News when they thought they were going to lose all of their viewership to all these upstart uh, right-wing networks. And in the wake of the 2020 election, where they correctly, although probably prematurely, called Arizona for Joe Biden, essentially giving Joe Biden the election, um, they did lose a lot of viewers. And they immediately thought, oh my God, we're going to lose to one American network, which is you know, a very upsetting thing for a professional meteorization to lose out something that looks like public access TV. It's just, it's abysmal production quality. And they did, they were losing them, scared the heck out of them. And that's why that led to all these things about Dominion saying, we have to double down on all of these things. Um, in terms of who paid the price for that, the answer is Tucker Carlson paid the price for it. And Tucker Carlson's producers, you know, we saw basically a purge of the people on that side, not because they'd gotten it wrong, but rather because they weren't submitting to the authority of the new management. Hmm. And this is the real challenge for Fox News going forward is how do how do you reframe Fox News, what Fox News is, in a Trump-based world? As long as Rupert Murdoch was in charge, Rupert Murdoch has a coherent political agenda. He views, I think, the populace mostly as being useful idiots, right? He's trying to push deregulation. He's trying to push lower taxes for rich people. He's trying to push a traditional conservative agenda. Um, and he's trying to do that. He's using populace in order to do that. I don't know what Lachlan Mur Murdoch's politics are. I don't know. if he, Is he pushing that same political agenda? Is he just trying to make money? And if you're a critic of Fox News, an opponent of Fox News, are you happier that there isn't a political agenda and they're just trying to get ratings? Or if there is a political agenda? I don't know. Well, the bad thing is, as you just described to me, um, kind of following the audience has generated what looked like a political agenda anyway. We, we kind of got these uh, self-radicalizing ideas out there that are being tested throughout the news cycle, which is something I'd never really considered before, but it's truly chilling. Well, they also have brought into the entire right-wing ecostructure, information ecostructure, that it is not just Fox News and the Daily Mail and uh, the Sun and all this that are doing this. Uh, you know, the Sun I only know because they have good cryptic crosswords. <laughs> I, I'm not good at them, so they got the easiest. But this actually, all their material, the reason it's so influential is not because two million people watch their most popular show. That's not a lot of people. Most people are made up their minds. No one cares about them. What really matters is the fact that anyone who's who's on Facebook or on Twitter gets the clips recycled. Mm. And those clips then wind up being self-reinforcing because if I'm a right-wing media blog or Steve Bannon or whoever who's trying to build an audience, what I do is I take those clips. I then say improv. I say, yes, that's true. And it's so much worse than you think. That gets filtered through the right-wing ecostructure and then gets fed back into Fox News, right? You 
it, it's a machine that creates controversy uh, and definitely creates ratings because the stuff that works goes through this very Darwinian process until we get the most effective stuff that comes back. And it also means that extreme right-wing content gets laundered back onto unsuspecting audiences on Fox News and occasionally then back into the mainstream media. You know, look, the war on Christmas is not a real thing. But the New York Times has certainly written about it. Mm. And we're starting to see that over here as well with uh, the launch of GB News and Talk TV, uh, Murdoch's own attempt to do a kind of British right-wing news organisation, which, you know, unusually for him, isn't the market leader. It's it's certainly been spanked by GB News. Um, I wanted to ask you, obviously Fox is going to live on, no matter how much uh, Murdoch steps back or, or, or not. It will continue to be possibly the most influential news network in, in the United States. You wrote your book about it before the advent of Trump. Obviously, there have been a lot of changes since. Has the, has the network's influence become more malign, less malign? What do you think of, of, like, of Fox's future is essentially what I'm asking. So first off, let's talk about Fox and Trump. Uh, the reason Trump won the 2016 US presidential Republican primary was because of Fox News. I mean, if you look at the coverage patterns on Fox News, we find as, and this goes back to 2008, 2012, um, whenever you have someone mentioned on Fox News, doesn't even matter if it's a negative mention, any, every time Fox News talks about a Republican candidate, that candidate gets more support in polls the next several over the next several days and gets a lot of small money contributions. Not big money contributions, they're smarter than this, but small money contributions, $20, $50 start rolling into that candidate. So in 2016, when Fox became the Donald Trump channel, when they aired coverage of Donald Trump vastly disproportionate to his standing in the polls, suddenly he was getting all this coverage, all this media attention, and that got him, because of Fox News, all these small dollar donations and all this standing in the polls. So they created Donald Trump. What we've actually seen in the 2024 cycle so far is that they're actually not covering Donald Trump disproportionately in the way they were in 2016. In 2016, he was one among a pack. And they gave him all the coverage. In 2024, he is leading by 40 points, and he's getting coverage proportionate with that. So they don't seem to have put their finger on the scale quite so much. The problem is they put their finger on the scale so much in the past that it almost doesn't matter at this point. As for the future of Fox News, it's actually they're in trouble because their big source of revenue is not advertisers. The big source of revenue is cable packagers, you know, cable companies that pay on the order of $20 per person per year to Fox News for the right to carry Fox News. As these contracts come up for negotiation, those cable providers are not paying that much money anymore. They don't have it because you know half the country cut the cord. They don't get cable anymore. That's a huge hit to Fox's revenue. Now, Fox knew this was coming. There's a reason they started their uh, streaming service, Fox Nation, but that Fox Nation service has not picked up. They have not put the money into it. They haven't put the production values into it. And their biggest source of content there was Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson's various uh, documentaries, which are laughable when you watch them, but at least well-produced and interesting. I mean, they are going to tell you you need to use UV tanning on your testicles in order to avoid the effects of milk. But you know, at least there's something to watch there rather than the old Diamond and Silk show that they launched with. So they are really facing crisis. On top of that, their median viewer is approaching 70 years old. Now, life expectancy is pretty good in the US, so that median viewer is going to be alive for another five to 10 years. Uh, but the long-term problem Fox News is facing is really serious. Nobody wants to be in the cable news business right now. It's a funny time to sell your movie studio to, uh, you know, woke Disney Plus. I mean, you would have thought that he would have maintained a footing in non-political money-making entertainment. 
Well, the question is, is you know, could they actually compete? with Disney Plus and these other mega studios. I mean, 21st Century Fox Studios was a relatively small player, honestly. They And in an era where movies are now costing $200 million, $300 million, $400 million, they weren't able to keep up uh, at that same rate everyone else was. So it makes sense. The biggest thing they had to sell was IP. They had a lot of IP. They sold it. And I think you could argue Disney actually overpaid for it, mostly because Fox owned the right to a bunch of Marvel properties that Disney wanted those rights back to. Um, it is interesting to me that you, well, essentially what you described is Fox creates Trump, but cannot uncreate Trump because the the juggernaut is too powerful. What I can't believe is that Murdoch will willingly choose to sit out a chance to again influence the presidency of the United States. I mean, the Wolf book claims that Murdoch hates Trump so much he wants the former president to die. I can't believe that he would, at this stage of the cycle, decide to step back unless he's not actually really stepping back. So. Yeah, this is a long-term problem for Fox because the worst thing that ever happened to Fox was Donald Trump getting elected. Because as long as a Democrat is in the White House, they can rail against the Democrats. You know, they don't have to have a positive policy agenda. The whole point of Fox News, and actually of most of Rupert Murdoch's media empire, the political goal is to forge an alliance between you know poor right-wing populist movements and you know conservative movements, evangelical movements, and the you know we in the US we call country club conservatives you know people who really don't give a damn about abortion but they really really want lower taxes and less regulation so how do you build that coalition together and the easiest way to keep that coalition together is to not put forward policy proposals because if you talk about immigration if you talk about taxes you're going to lose half your audience so what you have to do is talk about after 911 where they really made their bones you have to talk about patriotism and being the foreign enemy they get lots of foreign policy coverage. They actually do more foreign policy coverage than any other news outlet in the United States because there's no uh, no way to split their audience there. Or you just talk about how bad Democrats are. And so you just demonize Democrats. You just are the anti-Obama channel or the anti-Nancy Pelosi channel. As long as Democrats are in power, you just talk about them and how bad they are. Once Donald Trump gets into office, the Republicans controlled the entire US government. They had no one to talk about. And this was a real crisis for them. The ratings dropped, and they wound up moving to this very bizarre anti-anti strategy. Where rather than saying "boy Trump is good," they said everyone who's against Trump is bad. So we're not we're not you know excusing the terrible things Trump is doing, but these people who are criticizing Trump they're really crazy. Well, that's not a winning strategy, and they knew that. And so you know once Joe Biden gets into office, they move immediately over to Joe Biden is senile. Joe Biden probably died three years ago and has been replaced by a body double. Whatever it is. And that's a much more profitable and much easier uh, way for them to keep their political coalition together. Uh, if Donald Trump gets elected again, they're in real trouble because they can't defend. You know, they, they're the best defenders of Donald Trump, and even they are not doing a very good job. Hmm. Let's talk about Lachlan a little. Uh, as you said, we don't really know Lachlan's politics. We don't know how much of uh, in the same mold of his of his dad that he is. But we sort of do know a little about his personality. Does he have the kind of charismatic power and the sort of brute force of personality that made Rupert so successful? I mean, is Keir Starmer going to go and pay obeisance to Lachlan on a yacht somewhere? I, 
Yes, I think Keir Starmer probably might, you know, very well might do that, but that is because he has much more behind-the-scenes power. I think Lachlan is much more in the vein of a manager rather than a public-facing figure, and I think he seems like he's much more comfortable there. And again, to some extent, you would say, okay, well, that's maybe a good thing if you're worried about the you know, malign influence of Rupert Murdoch properties. If you're saying, well, all right, if they're not pushing a political agenda, if they're just chasing ratings, hey, you know, maybe they will be less influential because they're not trying to push a particular political agenda. Of course, if you are just trying to get ratings, just trying to get money, I'm not sure you fire Tucker Carlson. I'm not sure you don't say, all right, cool. Well, people like white nationalism. Let's push more white nationalism. Let's push more hate. Uh, so you know, I, we don't know what the trade-off is here, and I'm not sure we're going to know until it's too late to decide whether it's actually something good or not. Hmm. Um, the siblings getting back to succession, they're not especially tight. I mean, Prudence, the eldest, Burley takes an interest in media. James Murdoch obviously did a Kendall Roy and struck out on his own. He's partly estranged from Lachlan, according to The Guardian. Elizabeth was passed over early for effectively for being female. She now has quite an enviable life of her own. How do you see this playing out? They each have equal share ownership in, in, in the companies. How do you see this playing out when, when Lachlan is effectively running the companies but is to an extent beholden to siblings with whom he's not especially tight? Look, I, I I know I would be very upset if I had to manage a company and share it with my brother and my sister. I mean, I think that would lead to some very awkward Christmases. Uh, but as long as they're, you know, the interest of the other siblings in this is largely in profitability. Are we making enough money to continue to support my lavish lifestyle? And I think as long as they're doing that, the other we have no indication the other siblings are really that concerned with the political agenda. They just want to make money out of this. And as long as they're doing that, I think we're okay. That said, if we stop making money, if Fox News stops making money, if you know, Fox News is one of their biggest earners, if this empire stops making money, then I think you have the potential for revolt, a potential for the other siblings to come in and say, hey, this isn't working. We need to replace the man at the top because you're not making the money that we expect you to make. So there is the possibility there because the control is not as tight as it like. That said, as long as it maintains profitability, I think Lachlan's probably pretty safe. I'm just waiting to see who turns out to be the Tom Wamscans of this whole caper when the uh, when the central cast has gone. Let, let's finish up with, a, a, I suppose, an element of the living obituary, really. I mean, Murdoch's role is going to change. What what was the secret of his immense power? I mean, from the outside, it seems to be a mixture of business acumen, the ability to manipulate and schmooze and flatter politicians, but also sheer bullying. What What, what made him the powerful individual that he is? I really, Rupert Murdoch is a product of the deregulation of the late 1970s into early 1980s. So under Thatcher in the UK, under Reagan in the US, you know, we used to have in the UK and the US very tight control over media, where you know the government controlled access to channels. Right, you weren't in the US, you weren't allowed to own more than so many broadcast TV channels, and there was tight regulation of what you could and could not say on those broadcast TV channels. Uh, you know, we had the fairness doctrine. We had all sorts of things designed to ensure that the that media ownership was in the public interest. There was an idea that you know we can't just have oligarchs running everything. There has to be a degree of public access and public control and democratic small d democratic control over the airwaves. And under Margaret Thatcher and under Ronald Reagan, uh, that went away. We said, you know what, deregulate, let everyone own whatever they could. And to some extent, that allowed you know corporate these corporations to get much much bigger. It allowed Rupert Murdoch to buy up you know network TV all over the U.S. and create the Fox network. And while at the time it says oh more choice for consumers, you know there's more TV, things are better. 
it also meant that there was much, much more control. It was possible for one person to control things, control media in a way that was impossible for. Add to that the advent of cable and satellite channels, where suddenly there's an infinite number of channels and you can suddenly uh, tailor things to just a specific audience. Again, these are not. This is a combination of technological change and regulatory change. Rupert Murdoch was simply in the right place at the right time to take advantage of those changes. He's a product of the 1980s, of that deregulation, of that of those advances in technology, and to some extent, he is also a dinosaur. Look at the businesses he's in. His big businesses are cable news and newspapers. These are profitable industries of the 20th century, the early 20th century for newspapers, the late 20th century and cable. He still has not been able to make that jump, and his organizations have not been able to make that jump over to digital. And that's a huge problem for them going forward. So if we're worried about you know, the obituary, the obituary could be this was the last of the dinosaurs. If they don't make the transition, they're doomed to the same sort of extinction. Yeah, that's kind of how he did it and the circumstances that produced him. But there's something about the personality of the guy. There's something about, I mean, his psychology seems to be driven by a kind of an anger against an elite that he himself is actually part of. I mean, there was some stunning brass neck in the parting statement. Elites have open contempt for those who are not members of the rarefied class. Most of the media is in cahoots with those elites peddling political narratives rather than pursuing the truth. That is exactly what Murdoch Media has been doing my entire life. Uh, that's because you're defying the elites in a, in a different way than he is, right? We see this very clearly in the United States with Donald Trump. You know, a billionaire, we go, well, he's a man of the people. He's not really an elite. Whereas college professors like myself are definitely part of the elite, uh, despite the very high salaries that we always get as college professors. <laughs> so because elite is not about money. Elite is about a mindset. Elite is about liberalism. And if you're saying all liberals are elite – whether you know, regardless of how much money they make or what the social status is, if all liberals are elite, then any opposition to uh, liberalism is anti-elitism. And this is, I think, unfamiliar largely to Americans. It works very well in the American context uh, because in America, we try our best not to think about class. We try and pretend class doesn't exist. Of course it does, but we're very uncomfortable with the idea that it exists at all. And so it's possible to say, oh, there's no such thing as class. There's just elites who are looking down their nose at the rest of us. So the fact that he's talking about elites in this way, what he's really doing is making a political argument that there is a true representative of the people, and it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you have the right enemies and you're representing the right views of the people, which ha just happens to coincide with conservative politics, then you are a true man of the people regardless of how much money you have. Do you think that uh, employees of Fox and News will be cancelling their early afternoon cabs on Friday now they know that Murdoch may materialize in the newsroom at any moment? You know, I think the people who were there on a Friday night are going to keep on being there on a Friday night. There are a <laughs> lot of true believers uh, at the studios of Fox News because at a certain point, you know, there were a lot of people earlier on in Fox News' life cycle that said, look, there's not a lot of jobs in journalism. It pays well. It's stable. I'm going to take it. I think those people have largely left the building. And it is, we are down to the true believers. The question is whether those true believers are the same people. They're believing the same thing that Rupert Murdoch is believing in. Or are they the populists that Rupert Murdoch is, I think, a little worried have gained control of the right-wing infrastructure? Well, it'll be fascinating to see how the Lachlan era plays out and how long it might be. And who emerges as Tom Wamsgams? <laughs> Dan Casino, thanks so much for joining me for this special edition. It's been really fascinating. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly found it incredibly informative. Uh, thanks for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the regular show. Have a good weekend. and We'll see you then.